Hello and welcome to French Football Weekly. I'm Philippa B and in the absence of all of the rest of the usual starting 11 who are all on holiday, um, we've brought back a special guest for a special end of season roundup. Uh, it's the big boss himself, Mr Andrew Gibney. Hi Gib, how are you doing? Hi Phil, how are you doing? Yeah, very well. I can't believe you still call me big boss, that's weird. Well, <laughs> you started it all, it's all your fault really. Um, <laughs> so what we're going to do obviously is just, um, we're going to have have a two-part pod this evening I'll be speaking to somebody else later so um, what we're going to focus on with with you Gib is basically the league standings how things are panning out what's still to play for on the final day so as a Lille fan I think you had a uh, an emotional weekend as Lille by beating Dijon 2-1 have ensured their safety for another season after it looked really really dicey for quite a long time just take us through your emotions, um, uh, how things have gone and, and how they've now ended up. Yeah, it's been a, a sort of weird three weeks. I was at in Lille for the Mets game and when George Manjek hit the post when it was 0-0, I think everyone was like, oh, here we go. And then we scored. And, and, but then Nolan Rue was 2-0 and Nolan Rue scored and you think, oh, here, this, here we go again. You could see... Now, I did, did predict he would score any time and then he had a header that could have been two each and you, you could see from the stands when the players on the pitch the nerves were just so apparently luckily for Mets as well and it was the same mm. last weekend for the Toulouse game which I was watching at home I think I'm not sure if it was any better or any worse because <laughs> you, you go one up you're thinking we can do this I think it was the first goal we've scored in the first 15 minutes of a game mm. this season <laughs> which is bizarre in itself and then of course we go 2-1 down and you look at the table and we're 19th and it's looking horrible and then Busuma whacks as Pepe said didn't want him to shoot but he did and it flew past Abel Font, who was having a great game as well and then we score the, the third and you look at the table and you go oh, we've gone to 16 but <laughs> then you don't want to look at it again because the game's not over and even Catherine, my wife, was sat beside me. There's no interest in the football whatsoever. Uh, she, even she, was watching it, going, "Oh God, oh God, oh God!" Like, <laughs> I think the nerves were emanating from me, and yeah, it was. And then we go to to Saturday night, and being the, a pessimist all season, it's hard to be like, "Yeah, it's Dijon at home. They're not very good away. It'll be fine." And then you can name Sleety. He's having a good season. He's going to score against us, and oh, we got. <laughs> then to go behind the way we did Malqui and Magnon, what they were doing in Con scores, you're thinking, what oh, is it? And I think Strasbourg were winning, I think we're Trois winning as well. And you, and you look at the table, and we're down to 19th again. And you think, yeah, this is, we save ourselves, we do all the hard work, like the Gangon game, and then throw it away. Mm. But Motiba, that, that, that right hand side of Malqui, was Benzie involved a bit? Pepe and the Montebot front has worked so well and worked to perfection again. Two really good moves for both goals. I love a good that header, the second one. I love that sort of header. That's you can't beat the aesthetics of that for me. Beautiful. But then it's two one and you think, yep. And you look at it and you look at it and Leon come back and and they were they're winning and you Montpellier, you guys scored against Twan. You're thinking this is far too good to be true. My mate Guillem was there, is at the stadium. I'm like, Guillem, it's all going our way. What's going to happen? <laughs> this, this, this can't be. And 
somehow, I mean, Dijon, the second half, were much the better team. So, again, it was very much like a Toulouse game. You're just waiting for the, the inevitable crash. And no, it didn't come with it. We've won three games in a row. The first yeah. game since Patrick Coy was in charge. Uh, um, and one thing that's interested me is it feels like several times before, obviously, the last three games, that you've gone ahead and then given up a lead. Yes. And uh, I think you know the last time was against, was it against Gangon? Gangon, yeah. yeah. In- um, but it seemed to have happened several times. So in a sense, you can never, never relax. And what, was kind of interesting about this last three run of games was not just that they were wins but that you were coming from behind in in some yeah. cases actually kind of turning things around a bit so it's uh how much do you put this down to uh to Galtier and finally kind of getting his ducks in a row or was it just fluke what, what do you reckon I definitely don't think it's foot because even Galtier said after the the Mets game like did, did we play better than we did against Gangon I don't think so like but obviously we got the result and you, you mentioned it's different you, you, you lose those two goals against Gangon and the confidence was bombed and I thought we were down I, I went to Leo that weekend thinking yeah we do want the two bad Friday night football you sort of set yourself up for what's going to happen I couldn't see where we were going to get the wins from we hadn't won mm. since January uh, and you could see it when Met scored to make it 2-1 the panic set and luckily they're just as bad as us like if that was against Anyone who had like a competent strike force in midfield would have lost that game. <laughs> Sorry, Jez. <laughs> but and it's, it's the same against Toulouse. Like they've got such good players, but again, they're young as well, and they're in the same situation. So mm. they were that one felt different because they were sort of stunned that they'd gone three two behind, and we were like we might hold on to this, but again, there were still chances. And it's interesting. We just I spoke to some people at the club, and they say like. The attitude of the players through those at half of the season was terrible. And you can see the reports for the Marseille game. Mm. Like, was it Object Danger from Nicolas Pepe training? Players not players who you, you think would have more, like Amadou and Samaro, like, kind of not turning up for video meetings and not wanting to take the captain's armband. No, it, it looked awful, but what was really interesting, I think it was the, must have been for the Dijon game, you look at the bench, and the bench was very much... Here are the players that Marcelo Bielsa signed. And yeah. Galtier's team is very much, well, I need to use these guys, but I'll assume us back in. And he was superb, the three wins. Uh, Motiba's obviously brought him mm. back. And as much as I sag off Benzia, like, and is annoying because in the final third, you're thinking, just pick the right option. But he's very good at the little, the interlinking passes, keeping the ball moving. And both goals came through that. And he, obviously he's not Bielsa's. But you've got like Ponce on the bench, El Ghazi on the bench, even Junior Alonso on the bench. Like These are all Bielsa's guys. Again, it was the same, it was the same last season when uh, uh, what's his name? Frank Passy was in charge. Uh, he went back to the, sort of the old school and it worked. And I think that's, what, that's what's done it. When you've got people like Arrojo, Arrojo works hard, fine. Uh, Thiago Mendes got a kick up the arse. So he's trying again. Uh, Edgar A, but people like uh, Debila coming in and playing really well at centre back. These are not Bielsa's players. Mendel wasn't a Bielsa player. But Malqui knows league on, so that's fine. Motiba did really well at league two, fine. Yeah, I think that's what's really changed around is the, the people who he's playing. And I think Gotti has finally realised what his best team is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that little trio down the wing uh, 
Motiba Pepe and Malco, you can see in training they've got the whole, I think it's hashtag MP, MPM, I think it is, they've got the M- M- MPB, Bazuma, they're all, you can see a togetherness again, which is good to see. And I think if you can keep Malqui, Basuma, and Motiba and Pepe, I think that's who you build this team around. Mm. Looking at, in a sense, looking at, at some of the others who, um, got themselves out of danger at the same time obviously we it's always nice to see promoted teams stay up and obviously Amiens are up quite comfortably in 12th yes. uh thanks largely i think to regis gertner and a fabulous defensive record but um the week this weekend also saw strasbourg reaching safety with a slightly unexpected 3-2 win over ol which was basically just utter determination not to go down. Uh, did you see any of any of that one? I mean, they've been kind of flown under the radar a bit this season with some of the other teams, obviously who've been down in the relegation zone. But seeing them get get safe was uh, was a nice a nice moment as well, wasn't it? Yeah, really happy for them because when I've, when I've seen them play, like, you can see they've got a good organisation. Putting a lot of effort, you can see the togetherness. But they were the one that I was really worried about because mm. they were sort of sliding down as like yeah. us and Toulouse were trying to slide and You think mm, they've, they've lost like what three out of six. And you think they could be, and then they go two one down against Leon. You're like, yeah, they're that, that's them done. And what a, a fantastic comeback! That crowd deserves so much yeah. credit for for how for how they've done the, the home games. But yeah, to come back at a team like Leon who. It's not like they're playing, no offence to someone like Montpellier, who aren't really no, playing for anything. Not that bold, <laughs> yeah, frankly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Leon needed the points as much as anyone, and a fantastic, what, what a fantastic free kick from Leonard at the end, just to have the, the poise and the composure to it. Yeah, I was going to call this past. Yeah. <laughs> Top corner, easy. Yeah, amazing story. So glad for them to stay up, and you hope they can build on that with the, the, the structure they have there. There's no reason why, why mm. they can't. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, you know, some of the ones that came up sort of last season. I mean, I, I've loved watching Dijon this this season. Mm-hmm. You know, they did did well to stay up last year and they've really been playing their own style this year as well, which I think is, you know, refreshing. Yes, they ship eight to PSG, but, you know, you're going to lose. So why not lose amusingly? I don't know. Um, so looking at who's down at the bottom, it's a bit of a situation where it will still be very tense for the fans of certain clubs. Now, Mets are down. Trois are in 19th on 33 points. The best they can do is get up to 36, get up to 18th, which is the playoff spot. Unfortunately, they are playing Monaco. Um, above them, we've got Caen are in 17th on 37 points. Toulouse are in 18th on 34 points. And Toulouse have got a much better goal difference. So if Toulouse win and Caen lose, Toulouse are up and Caen are in the playoff, right? So that makes it important to note that Toulouse will be playing Gangon and Caen will be playing PSG. So are we seeing another kind of great escape for Toulouse (laughs) Toulouse here um, after a couple of seasons ago when it was you know, more dramatic, possibly a bit more like Lille's uh, recovery, but it looks like Kong could be in real trouble here. Um, what's your What's your feeling on whether Toulouse will be able to to pull it out of the bag against Gangon team who are in eleventh and possibly also not that bothered? 
you, know, you, you look at you think Gangon won't be that bored, but they came back and got the draw against Marseille. So the, that was that was utter <laughs> chaos. That was <laughs> so they've nothing to play for. Why he's even trying? But fantastic is yeah. so. Well, it's last last home game, I suppose, exactly. as well. So uh, gotta gotta put an effort in, and I think they are not that great on the road. So yeah. um, that's going to fall into us as favour because. Yeah, there's no, there's no real incentive for Gangnam to, to pull in a similar performance. And whereas, was Con, they're at home, which mm. PSG again, everyone's looking towards the World Cup. They've got as much a challenge, you would say, as Toulouse have of, of beating Gangnam. Are PSG really going to try? Yeah. Who's going to even play for them? Is everyone going to be wrapped up in cotton wool? That that yeah. if if they can get a point, it it if it's the dullest nil nil draw <laughs> in the history of nil nil draws, of you know pick whatever famous nil nil draw, it, whatever whatever it takes, the kind of the OM approach. What was that last season when they didn't have a shot on target? Yes, and it's, do you remember there's that Simpsons gif of the the football club that says passing the ball in the midfield? I think there's very much. Because like, everyone hates PSG anyway. How much would you hate them more if they go and thump and, and, and like relegate them? They could easily play out a nil-nil draw and everyone saves face and Conste up and Toulouse will be absolutely fuming. But... <laughs> well, well, they might be fuming, but 18th place, as we mentioned, is the playoff spot. Now, the playoff situation is quite new in France <laughs> and you can just tell that the league possibly has got a little bit giddy and taken a slightly different approach than other fans of other leagues might be familiar with. So today, day of recording Tuesday, Ligue 2's fourth-placed side Le Havre welcome fifth-placed side Brest. The winner of that then goes on Friday to Corsica to play the third-placed team, AC Ajaccio, the winner of that will then play a two-legged uh, playoff um, on Wednesday and Sunday next week against whoever ends up in 18th. So simple. <laughs> Bureaucracy, remember, is for the French national sport. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out because, I mean, sticking, you know, an extra four games on the end of the season, if it's one of Lava or Brest you get through... Is seems to be to be you know pushing pushing things a little bit, but we'll we'll have to see what happens. So, and, and what's interesting with that is it's one of the reasons I was petrified of finishing 18th because imagine having to go to Corsica mm-hmm. when you've been losing all season and they've been winning. That's <laughs> not where you want to go. And yeah, you talk about the crowd being uh, you know a big <laughs> part of it. That would be a welcome yeah. a welcome and a half. So. And, I suppose the only thing is you've got Harvard and Brest who seem to be on a better run at the moment than Ajax you'll do. So whether they're going to have the momentum and it's one of those two that go through to face the league on side. But yeah, it's, I think that that's the maybe the, the what balances up. These teams have to play more games before they get to the league on team to have a little bit more of a rest and then can try and forget that they've been losing all season mm. and that they should be the favourites. It's such a weird sort of well done, guys. You've lost most of your games. Now you have to be the favourites and go and win. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's an odd situation, but uh, we'll be attempting to keep an eye on, on that and, and, and see what's going on. In other news there, obviously, from Ligue 2, we've got Reims and Nîmes are the automatic promotion spots, setting up a lovely uh, Languedoc derby where 
Montpellier Nîmes. That was actually the first match I ever saw at Marseille was a 1-1 draw back in 2008 when they were both in Ligue 2. Um, the Ligue 2 relegated sides, I think Cavi and Tour have gone down. I'm not sure, uh, not sure quite what else has, has gone on there. And then there is some extremely confusing, obviously, playoffs between National and League 2 going on as well. So uh, we'll be attempting to keep track of all of that um, as we go. Now, um, also looking at the table, as you were saying about OL, they had something to play for because the Champions League spots are still up in the air. We've got Monaco on 77, Lyon on 75, Marseille on 74. Now, if Marseille win the Europa League, I think they get into the Champions League anyway. They go straight to the group stage. But I'll be talking about this with Connor later, unless you have any burning desire to weigh in on it. But um, um, that you wouldn't want to be, you know, relying on that. So they're going to be attempting to beat Amiens, who, frankly, you know, might not be too bothered about that. Lyon, unfortunately, are playing Nice which could be a very kind of uh, a very interesting affair because Nice, of course, are also going for a European spot slightly further down the table, trying to catch Rennes in fifth. So there's scope for, you know, the, to be some move, moving around at, uh, at the, the top of the table as well. And obviously it looks like OL versus Nice is going to be the key game there for in a sense two sets of qualification how do you reckon that's going to pan out it's, it's, it's looking really exciting Leon's home record's been fantastic they've won the last five whereas Nice haven't been the greatest team on the road they're sort of sitting mid-table when you look at the, the form uh-huh. chart uh, did lose the last time out they lost where, when they went away to I'm just, who was it uh, it was Marseille funnily enough yeah. <laughs> so yeah I have a vested interest in this, Phil, because me and Muhammad Ali set a bet mm-hmm. uh, 18 months ago that said that if they signed Dimitri Payet, I said you will not finish in the top three come the end of next season. So I kind of want Marseille not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I, the, the easiest way would be um, if they if, if they, they finish fourth, fourth but win the Europa League. I mean, then yeah. everybody's happy. Exactly. I, I think looking at Nice's record, the, the two away games before um, the Marseille defeat, they drew 1-1 at Strasbourg and previously at Angers, um, neither of which, you know, is possibly yeah. an extremely edifying result, although, you know, Angers do do that kind of thing a lot. So... I think you have to favour Leon slightly because they are at home and they, they have got... And they, they'll... I think the atmosphere would have changed after. If they hadn't have gotten beat against Strasbourg, they probably wouldn't have got as big a kick up the behind as they probably have done this this weekend. It's probably like a reality check, a bit of a wake-up call. You need to be on your game all the way through so I can see somewhat of a reaction. And and I can see Marseille. Marseille all depends on what happens on Wednesday because if they... Mm. It's, it's going to take it out of them either way because if you win you have to not celebrate the fact you won the Europa League and you're in the Champions League, so when we don't be care, fine. But if you don't win, you've got to pick yourself up from that yeah. emotional... Which would I would imagine would also be physically draining, um, yeah. <laughs> shall we say. Yeah. So... It's, I, I think, Leon, all the factors favour them. Uh, but you would have said that going into the what, injury time of the Strasbourg game as well. <laughs> that didn't yep. work out in their favour. So 
And I think Monaco were the massive winners of the weekend that getting the penalty when they did. Uh, you could just hear the Marcy Twitter explode. <laughs> and I, that it was gutting. I, Ruffier made this amazing kind of yes. double, tri- triple save late on. I mean, the save, the that was one of his good games. And we all yes. know he can have one or the other. And that was definitely... A, definitely a good one so yeah that was that was interesting I think the impression I'm getting from you and also from me is that we don't think Troyes have any chance at all of getting anything at all off Monaco even if Monaco were at the beach they'd probably still kick sand in Troyes faces but Monaco do want uh, I mean they need to win to be absolutely safe so um might we see a little bit of the old flair for a, you know one final one final send off even if it is away from home? Yeah, Not that sure. that's as much an issue for Monaco. It's been one of the, it's a weird season, Monaco, because they've they've not played badly. They're sitting second, but mm. they've not obviously hit the heights they did last season. Not, even if they hadn't won the league last season, the football they were playing was phenomenal. They've not recreated that, so hopefully we'll see a bit more people like, like Tom Lamar's at his goodbye. Mm. Yeah, and that's we. I was just about to say we've had a couple of questions, uh, one of which was from Prabin Bikram, who's Prabin LFC on Twitter. What happened to Monaco this season? Uh, I think we see where Prabin's uh, coming from, but also Dean Potter, who's at Frinton Guna on Twitter. So somebody else with a vested interest. Do you see Thomas Lamar leaving Monaco at the end of the season? I think possibly we do, um, particularly after kind of what happened last season, where he goes. Nobody knows. But that what happened situation is something, it's a question that's come up quite a lot. And as you say, it seems a bit daft, really, because they are second. It's not yeah. like they've tumbled down, you know, and done what Saint-Étienne did earlier in the season or what Lille have been doing through most of the season. They're second. What, yes, what, the Champions what? League was a problem. But it, but it does, as you say, feel like... It's been underwhelming in terms of the actual level of play. Yeah. Would that be fair? Yeah. What's interesting is I know, I know you're a big fan of stats as well, Phil. It's like Monaco last, this season, have scored 82 goals, but their expected goals is only 59. So they've like overachieved, yeah. which is just like, you think on the, but then last season they scored 107 and their XG was 76. So, so, XG-wise, they have dropped massively. They're still managing a way to find a way to score goals. But, yeah, the, the chances they're creating are not all as high just, as last it, year. It looks just a bit more functional. It's not quite yeah. as kind of exciting and jazzy and, oh, shit, where did that come from, as it was last season. It was, when you take away Benjamin Mendy, Kylian Mbappe, yeah. Yoko, of course it's going to be, it's going to be less yes. dynamic. It's going to be less... Exciting, like what Kate Abalde's impressed me. Ronnie Lopez, who I thought was like, Yeah, he's Ronnie, been, he's Ronnie, been Ronnie's, great. Ronnie's not, I, I think I thought to myself, Ronnie's not going to make it. I don't think I didn't see, didn't see enough of him to think oh, he's going to be a star. But again, he stepped up when he's still young. He's, he's 24, 23, is he even, he's even younger. Is he 20? He's been when someone's been around that long, you forget what age people are. Mm. Uh, he's, 20, he's only 22, even, he's even yeah. younger. You, you realise then they started at the age of 17 and a half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like Alban Lafont is still, you know, kind of yeah. eligible for the under-19s. It's, it's frightening. Um, so, yeah, I think it's obviously that's going to be one of the big transfer um, sagas of the summer is again going to involve Monaco. And like you say, 
if you lose that many good players, it's going to have an impact. The thing is, they do it every year. Yes. And it's like this season felt like this was the one that kind of broke it a bit. It's, it's somewhat similar to my, my you know, ex-wife is a massive gymnastics fan. And like the, everyone builds up to the Olympics. That's the four-year cycle. Hmm. And like the, you, have the, you have the World Championships every year. And the first one after it is always a bit crap because no one's quite <laughs> built up yet. To me, this, this is, like last year was the end of Monaco's like Olympic cycle. That was the end yeah. of, of the... And this is, this is the take a deep breath. Yeah, this is the start. Calm bringing, down, yeah. You're bringing all these players and you look at where, where Thomas Lamar came from. He wasn't very good his first season. Bakayoko wasn't very good his first mm-hmm. season. Fabinho was a right back. <laughs> yeah, it's weird to think of that. <laughs> <laughs> You've got people like, like Diakabe, like young mm-hmm. seller who's broke through. Like, well, they keep, I don't know what they're putting the water down there, but these strikers keep appearing from yeah. nowhere. Like, they have got the talent. I think it's going to take some time to gel. And I think mm. well, and people like Telemons, everyone expected big things from him, but it takes time to adjust. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we're going to see more movement this summer. Obviously, Lamar is one name, Fabinho is another name. Um, I imagine. Sell, sell, sell. Sadibi. Sell, sell, sell. Yeah, whatever. But, you know, th- there's going to be more turnover there again and more people coming back in from loan and immediately being sent back out on loan again. So I think, but as you say, if it is that they're going to be ramping up for, for the next cycle, if uh, whether or not Jardim sticks around is going to be going to be a key yeah. issue. Now on a managerial front, obviously there's all sorts of um, rumors and news and everything. It was just one thing because Lille are safe in terms of points, but mm-hmm. there's just one thing we need to mention, which is that, they might not be safe from the DNCG, the financial watchdog of the league, who did um, kind of uh, late last year say, put a ruling out that uh, said the books weren't in order and that if they didn't sort themselves out, they could be relegated administratively, whatever their league position is. And now Christoph Galtier has come out this week and said that he's been assured by the president that everything is now tickety-boo. And was basically asked, if you were relegated, would you stay? And he said, I think no, because I basically I would have been lied to about the financial state. <laughs> now, we do know that the DNCG is a little bit of a blunt instrument rather than um, a, a tool of finesse. What are the rumours about whether that DNCG provisional relegation will actually be stamped or will it be as... I mean, we all hope. I think um, you know, wiped off, wiped yeah. off the board. The, the I mean, Gerard Lopez's comments straight after the game was quite interesting. He'd he done a interview with RMC as well, and he was very much, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be fine, fine. Everything's in order. Everything's in order. But he's got as much sort of uh, truth in his bones as a dodgy used car salesman. I think is the. I think no one trusts Gerard Lopez at all. I think the Lou fans have shown that they, the mistrust is there. The DVU, the main supporters group can't stand the current management. I think more because they dobbed them all in when they did the pitch invasion, which was nice mm. of them. Uh, obviously in January it was we were meant to find 25 million euros and that's where the Sumaro deals, rumours where the Amadou turning up at Crystal Palace potential deals and I now I've heard the the number of 100 million being mentioned. Because I was about to say, if you've got a bench full of Bielsa players who aren't wanted, then you would 
want to shift them on for financial as well as yeah. footballing reasons. But are they yeah. going to fetch what they need to, given that they haven't been very good? Now, the thing mm. is that I think the DNCG, you get a bit of the transfer window to try to sort this out before there, there's a final well, verdict. Well, this is how Montpellier ended up with you know cheap players in the past. There's been but, a next week, and I think that's... Pretty much the problem is that Joe Lopez couldn't prove to DNCG where his money was coming from and right. he actually had. And there was a really good article in, in France Trois about his involvement with the same company who have got shares in AC Milan, like a Cayman Islands holding company. And then there's two of their shareholders have got a 1% stake in Leo and they're apparently the, actually the, the big guns who actually hold the purse strings. Uh, so whether Jared Lopez is basically a puppet for their ongoings, that was a, that was the massive rumour going round when it all happened. So he's, right. if, he, if he had the money, he should be able to show, look, here's my money. Yeah, well, we've seen, I mean, who was it last year when there was a kind of proof of bank transfers being oh, waved around it. in the press and all of that oh, kind of business? The, the guy from Lons, the yes. Azerbaijani guy who couldn't do it because it was bank holidays in Azerbaijan and all that. Yeah, that was... That was a real dog at my homework kind of excuse, we are wasn't getting it? To that level. Yeah. <laughs> so it looks like I'm going to be spending another summer trying to cover Toulon, the World Cup, and the fucking admin that the DNCG throws around because um, they do they do manage to come in and screw somebody up oh. every year, pretty much like clockwork. I think the one positive is because with Manchester State in League One, we'll only be relegated to yeah. League Two and not to Championnat National. Well, the <laughs> thing is, I mean, the ones they've come in and and kiboshed before have all been lower league teams. I mean, yeah. Bastia knocked out of existence. The guys who weren't allowed to come up, stuff like that. Yeah, so like, you've yeah. managed to stay up. Politically speaking, it would have been way easier to to do you if you were in League Two. Yeah, I think. And as, knocking uh, knocking a Ligue 1 team down. Um, and as might Jeremy, be a step too far even for them. As I'm sure Jeremy could talk about in great length, uh, yeah. sometimes teams of the northern persuasion get a little bit of leniency when it comes to the NCG. All right. Well, we will, we will see how they, uh, they pan out. So just looking at the matches for the weekend, obviously we've got quite a lot that don't mean very much at all. I think Dijon versus Angers could be an absolute barn burner. Um, 13th play 14th but so we're going to be looking for things happening at both ends of the table is there going to be one match while you're watching the multiplex you will be keeping a particular eye on and why I think it has to be the way on game because I really mm-hmm. really need way on to finish at least third so I can get one over on more sorry more that <laughs> How these things work. <laughs> I thought by bringing in somebody else, we wouldn't piss off the Marseille fans this week. But oh, what, what can you do? There you <laughs> I really want them to win on Wednesday, though, because uh, yeah. it's been amazing for the league. And this has been such an incredible journey with it. The Leipzig second leg, phenomenal television. That, uh, that, was, that was real kind of get a drink and get biscuits. And that, think, that was amazing. I think the Velodrome was probably the the league on ground I've visited second most to to Lille. I've been there holiday a few times, I've been to the Euros. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a little soft spot for down there. So hopefully yeah. when, when the Europa League finish fourth and I'll be very happy. Right. Okay, well on that we're going to bring part one of uh, tonight's oddcast to a close. So thank you very much uh, Andrew Gibney. Great speaking to you and I'm sure we'll speak to you again soon. It's been a pleasure Phil.
Okay, so welcome back for part two of the Oddcast this week um, with uh, most of the guys away on holiday. I've already spoken to Andrew Gibney and now I'm joined by new signing of the season. Uh, joined us in the January transfer window, it's Connor Ketley. Hi Connor, thanks for joining us. Hi Phil, thanks for inviting me on, it's a pleasure. Okay, so what we're going to do is try to round up some of the other things uh, other than the, the league on games that have happened over the past kind of two weeks. And we're going to start with the UNFP Awards, which took place on Sunday night, mm-hmm. where PSG kind of swept the board, which is something that um, is causing a degree of ire in fans other than PSGs. So let's look at what happened. The Best young player was given to Kylian Mbappe. That's his second uh, title there after winning last year while still at Monaco. Um, Neymar got best player and Unai Emery got best manager. Now, there's kind of arguments you can have about all of those in relation to context. Um, Of the three, which would you say was the one who in a sense, deserved it most? Um, I think it's hard to argue with um, Neymar, actually. Um, I I do agree that, you know, that the controversial aspect of it is that um, he was away for so much of the season. I think it was about 20 games he played, actually. Um, But if you look at the fact that he did play about half the season and still got more assists than any other player, still finished, you know, I think within the top five for goals scored, Mm-hmm. Um, the impact that he had is clearly massive. And if he did play the whole season, you know, we could have been talking about, you know, records left, right and centre. So um, it is hard to argue with that one. Um, Mbappe as well. I think the main controversy there is just the definition of, well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, is, he is a young player and it's 100% true. And he was probably the best on the list, but you kind of want it to be a breakthrough player in a, in a way. I don't know mm-hmm. if there's a... a a distinction between those but um, of course it would have been no one would have argued if uh, say Ndombele or, or Awa had, had won that award yeah quite I mean I think we, we saw it a couple of years back where Eden Hazard won best young player twice in a row then best player <laughs> twice in a row then went to the premiership and then won best young player again <laughs> yeah. it was all very confusing so the one other um, Ligue 1 title which was handed out was for the best goalkeeper which actually went to mm-hmm. Steve Mandanda and I, there were even some Marseille fans going really um, <laughs> and that one there I think we discussed it a couple of weeks ago on the pod we thought it was between Benjamin Lecomte of Montpellier and PSG's Alphonse Ariola because he's come on leaps and bounds recently and so that one seemed kind of like it was a romantic pick almost you know Mandanda has been such uh, an important player for so long but was he actually the best goalkeeper over the full season now I know he's been injured recently and there's a degree of kind of recency about this because there was that amazing run of wins they went on and epic number of clean sheets that he kept earlier in the season Mm -hmm. but on the goalkeeping front we also mentioned you know um, Regis uh, Gerpner of Amiens who's done an absolutely superb job in a newly promoted team did he deserve a nod did that seem a a fair title there or, or who would you have given maybe that trophy to 
I mean, I think I agree with basically everyone in saying that <laughs> unfortunately Mandanda probably didn't deserve it. You know, he's not done an awful lot wrong. I know he had a bit of a blunder. I think it was against them, against Leon, actually, a Nabil Fekir free kick. Mm. Um, and he has had some high points, of course, as you mentioned, that run of clean sheets, etc. Um, but I don't think he's been standout, um, to be honest with you. I think, obviously, one of the goalkeepers who was mentioned, uh, sorry, nominated uh, in uh, Le Comte, I think he personally was probably deserving. I think Montpellier being the second best defence uh, mm. in the league has a, a large part to do with where they are and um, oh, yeah. where their standing is. So I think he was deserving. Of course, as you mentioned, um, from Amiens as well, um, uh, you know, their defence has been fantastic for a team that was touted to be uh, you know, bottom by an absolute country mile. So um, I think either of those, uh, you know, would have been good nominations as well. And as um, mentioned on the pod uh, two weeks ago, of course, um, Ariola has eliminated a lot of the kind of calamities that he'd had that saw him and Trap basically swapping the, the number one jersey between them for PSG for so long. So he also would have been an, an absolutely fine shout. I think Mandanda, to be honest, shouldn't have really been in the top five or six, never mind first, but um, uh, that's the decision the UNFP have gone with. So Yeah, it's, uh, it's always a bit strange. Some of, the, some of the awards are voted by the players. The team of the year looked a bit mm-hmm. weird when you looked at all of that. <laughs> but just going over some of the, the other awards in Ligue 2, uh, best player was given to Diego Riganato of Reims, who came up as champions, mm-hmm. um, above Rashid Aloui and Uma Bozak, the um, epic strike partnership of mm-hmm. Neiman. I do hope, I think Louise still on loan. I'm not entirely sure there, but I hope they stay together because they were great fun to watch. Um, on the goalkeeping front, it was Paul Bernardoni of Clermont on loan from Bordeaux, which may be uh, slightly reassuring to the Bordelaise amongst us, <laughs> uh, who, who won the goalkeeping um, trophy and on the best trainer it was David Guillon of Reims um, but also nominated Bernard Blackard of Nîmes and Olivia Pantaloni of AC Ajaccio who will be in a playoff on Friday uh, against the winner of Le Havre and Brest who are playing off as we speak Um, in the other um, trophies on the women's front uh, best young player was Marie Antoinette Katoto goal-scoring marvel for PSG and um, the senior player was Jennifer Marazan of OL winning for the second year in a row. Now the final award I just want to mention was the best French player playing overseas and the nominees were Benzema, Griezmann, Kante and Umtiti and Kante won and he again won last year and we just had the feeling that he He's not had as good a season this year as last season. And I think, you know, the, the will of the pod was that Samuel Umtiti would, would win it. He's been brilliant. And also because defenders don't really get much of a, the rub of a green mm-hmm. um, in these kind of awards. So on that front, do you think that was fair? Who would your, your pick have been, do you think, on that front? Yeah, I think um, maybe I'm biased by a little bit of, um, I suppose, recency in form, but um, Antoine Griezmann's really come online mm. in 2018 in particular. Of, of course, you know, he did kind of stumble a bit at the beginning of the season, but uh, there was a game he scored four goals in. You know, he's looked, I think it was a goal and assist against Arsenal in the Europa League semi-finals. Um, I think he would have been a fair enough shout. Um, Kante as well, we all know how good he is and what he does. Um, but the fact that Chelsea are, 
you know, where they are in the league when they expect to be so much higher maybe says something about how he played earlier in the season as well. Um, his game against Liverpool just the weekend that had gone by of, um, was actually very impressive as well, back to his best. But I think, as, as you mentioned as well, Titi being part of what was almost the, um, uh, the yeah. invincible Barcelona team, what a shame that they couldn't do it. Well, what a way to go out, frankly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, saw, I saw the score at 5-1 and I was convinced it was over. And then at 5-4, I thought it was uh, destiny for the invincible season. But alas. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, that, that's, a, I think, that was a great way to, to end the season, having been impregnable for so long to just do that. <laughs> yeah, seemed like seemed like they were, you know, helping out with the magic of football. <laughs> so uh, on the magic of football, we also saw um, a week or so back the Coupe de France final, PSG facing Les Herbiers of the third tier, or they were of the third tier, which we'll come on to in a minute. Um, only the fifth ever team uh, from below the second division to reach the final. None of them had ever won it. Nobody gave them a chance. And that obviously was fair. But I was seeing tweets before the game going, oh, this could be 15-0. Uh, it could be, this could be an absolute massacre. And I kind of thought, what? it won't be because they're really, really going to be trying and they've actually got some good players. And Pichot and Goal has already put in some great cup performances. I think somebody mentioned that they won as many games in the cup as they'd won in the league. They really seem to have something for the cup. And they lost 2-0. And that's a loss, obviously, but it's 2-0. I mean, how many how many top flight teams have, have taken a lot worse than PSG? I really enjoyed watching it in, in a kind of watching through your hands kind of way at times because um, they would it was a lot of last ditch defending. But just on that, I think it was a, it was a good game to watch. It was a great advert for you know lower league football and and in a sense giving it your all and spirit getting you through um what do you think were you know kind of the key moments to take from that that cup final um well i think the the one thing which was quite evident from the start was the fact that uh, les elvier were actually playing uh, you know, attractive football, or at least trying mm. to. They were trying to pass it out from the back, which nearly, uh, you know, nearly mm-hmm. caught them out a few times. And it's actually a bit ironic that their goals didn't come from uh, the errors that they'd committed directly. It was um, obviously Lacelso. Um, I think hit the uh, hit the woodwork a couple of times before, um, you know, a brilliant finish into the bottom corner, and then, uh, of course, Mbappe as well. That that VAR goal that was disallowed, but. VIR proving that it was maybe wrong because I thought it should have stood um, yeah. the goal anyway, um, which I think most people did as well. Um, and yeah, I thought it was great that Les Elbiers kept the score to, to what it was. And uh, Pichot, as you mentioned in particular, really, uh, I suppose now, uh, given that they've gone down, has put himself in the shop window in that performance. And um, yeah. I'm sure some other teams would, would look, at, look at getting him back up to a higher division. Definitely. I mean, I think he he saved. I think it was two penalties against Lens earlier on in a in a in a shootout. So yes, the sad news is that they have gone down. They were in the relegation uh, zone for much of the season. Just about pulled themselves out of it. But National this year has been really really tight. And Lesbia did a fabulous job the game before the Coupe de France final, coming from two 0 down at home against Laval. Uh, 
um, to win 3-2 to give themselves a chance. And they finally, they lost on the final day to Bézier, who were looking for the next automatic promotion spot um, after Red Star. And they lost 4-1 and they went down on goal difference. And I just think that's gutting because, I mean, now you know that team is going to be picked apart because a lot of... Mm a lot of players are going to have come onto other teams' radars. But one of the things that Les Ebias, uh, manager said before the cup final was, well, yeah, but this happens every year. He basically said, we don't give <laughs> two or three year contracts because if we go down financially, we're screwed. So a lot of those guys are going to be um, moving on. So Rocheteau, Ongongui, Gaboho, Pichot and Gaul, I'm sure they're going to get offers and they won't be playing in CFA next season, although unfortunately Les Herbier will. So moving on to the next piece of silverware that we can discuss, the Europa League final. You mentioned Griezmann coming into a rich run of form at the end of the season. That may not be uh, popular in the Marseille area because tomorrow, um, Wednesday, whenever you're listening to this, Wednesday, probably tonight, um, Marseille are playing Atletico Madrid in the Europa Cup in Europa League final. And it's been emotional, I think, um, throughout this. Uh, there was the amazing kind of second leg again against Leipzig where they won 5-2 and just looked wonderful wonderful fun to watch and then the Salzburg matches were 2-0 in the first leg and they just had to stay focused and then they kind of didn't stay focused and we ended up going to extra time and it was all terribly terribly tense and then Rolando Rolando bless him scored (laughs) scored the winner to put them through um, 3-2 on aggregate after extra time what do we think about OM's chances of being, you know, of winning um, Europa League? <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I think on paper, as, um, as you mentioned as well, it will be tough. Uh, the fact that Griezmann is in a rich vein of form. They've got um, Felipe Luis recently back from injury as well, who will be up against Tovan, of course, on that Marseille right wing. Um, but I think the one thing that really does count in their favour is that the final is in France. Mm. Um, which you know gives uh, I think it's a three-hour drive from Marseille to Lyon, which I'm sure plenty of fans will be making the journey, and there'll be Ooh, some there yeah. already. Um, so I'm sure that Atletico can expect a um, a fiery atmosphere, a fiery welcome, um, and of course Marseille from what we saw in their games at the Velodrome against Salzburg and against Leipzig is that they really draw from uh, a passionate fan base, and you know the the positivity around them does inspire them on to play better. So obviously, if there is that fiery atmosphere and the players know that they can thrive off it, they definitely have all the chances. And especially with Payet and his classic pre-major international tournament form, (laughs) you know, the the stubbornness that that Atletico Madrid defence has could be picked apart by someone like him in, in the right kind of form. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be him and Tovan, really, who are yes, the key I, guys. I just, like, well, if you look at OM's attack, they're very good. <laughs> but it's like the centre forward is almost irrelevant. I know. I, I, it's the three behind him. that you I, I was actually interested, uh, Phil, in what your opinion might be on who's going to get the nods uh, in the central forward position. 
Well, I think I'm not sure if Mitroglou is fit because he was out injured yes. for two weeks and whether or not he's ready would be would be an issue. I think I saw um Mo Ali, um, our friend from, from OM English earlier, um looking at the predicted squad which had Germain up front mm-hmm. and saying he'd prefer Metroglou and you you see his point there because mm-hmm. Metroglou is I I love Valet Germain. Mm-hmm. He also is taller than you think he is, if you see what I mean. It's like headed goals should not come from a man who yeah, you think is that so I don't know. Got a headed goal at the weekends. <laughs> yeah, but um Mitroglu's got a certain kind of no messing around in the box bam kind of approach, which helps when you've got, you know, a campus Payet, Tovan, kind of the more fluid attackers, the wing play going on elsewhere. So I'm looking up, I mean, obviously Atletico's um, defence is just, just mm-hmm. awful the, from, from a kind yeah, of Marseille the, point of view. I was looking at just in the um, knockout games in this competition, they've stopped 87% of shots on target. <laughs> Marseille have, have stopped 68%. And 68% is basically benchmark. You have 30-35% of shots on target going in is a regular conversion rate. Atletico are just just awkward. And given that Marseille's attack can sometimes be a little bit, ooh, help, that went in off somebody's whatever. You know, a little bit flaky, a little <laughs> bit, I'd always say disorganized. But... Um, if they're faced with a really, really obdurate organised defence, given how well they've done against that in the league, which hasn't been great, it it's a little bit awkward. Yes, um, I, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone agrees it's um, it's definitely going to be a challenge. But um, as you say, especially with Dimitri Payet's uh, delivery from set pieces, that could always be. Uh, you know, an outsider chance of them nicking a goal. I mean, I definitely don't see Marseille scoring more than, you know, one or two goals, really, unfortunately. But um, they'll have to, to keep things tied at the back as well if they want to if they want to lift the trophy. Yeah, so, and um, kind of moving on from there as well, because Marseille have got a slight, slight habit of goals coming from the defence where you might not <laughs> expect it. Um, so, Rolando last time, Rami getting his, his head in there and of course he's got nothing to do at the weekend because he's banned. Yeah. Um, Bounassar also has been a really kind of interesting player. Started mm-hmm. as a winger, was moved back to right back when Sakai came in, moved back to the wing. Now Sakai's injured, moved back to right back. He's been really... Um, a really positive force I think there's kind of some flag waving for him to maybe get a get a get a shout in the 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 France squad um which will be announced on Thursday Didier Deschamps um putting off his announcement to make he says to make sure (laughs) that OM can stay focused or indeed both sides can stay focused on the final but also possibly because he might thinking you can't judge on one <laughs> game but Payet is a question there mm-hmm. Tovan is probably in I mean he, he should be in um but the Payet question is uh is an interesting one so we're going to obviously see what happens on Thursday but 
with Koscielny out, it looks like Rami's going to come back in, which is possibly a pity given that Emirates reporters is good. When you look at kind of the, the, the ages of the other ones, Rami is an experienced older head. Mm-hmm. And if Pavard's there on the right and Hernandez is there on the left, both of them can play centre-back in a pinch as well. So mm-hmm. it would maybe be um, too late in the day to start trying to blood completely new uh, signings. So mm-hmm. it feels like, yes, it's a pity that it would be Rami over Laporte, but you can see where Deschamps is going with that. Mm-hmm. Where do you fall on that kind of balancing one experience with yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it is understandable that, that Rami would go ahead um, of Laporte. I mean, the, the one thing that does baffle me is just that Laporte has not been called up by any international team, either France or Spain, when he's, uh, of course, eligible for both. Um, I, I think, you know, Rami, even if he does end up going to Russia, the chances that he'll even you know, step foot on the pitch is very unlikely. So I don't think there should be a massive uproar. Should he get the nod or should someone else get the nod? You know, this is very much the fourth choice central defender who also, as you mentioned, has uh, like Pavel who can step in there and, and other players who can actually fill that gap as well. So he could even be lower choice than the fourth choice centre-back. Mm. But of course, having an experienced player in there is always good for the younger uh, the younger defenders too to be able to, you know, learn a bit off them as well in the in the training in the training sessions. Yeah. So while we, we look out for that and we'll, there will certainly be a lot of uh, post-mortems and analysis of the squad choices, but I think we all know it's going to be, you know, Sidibe's going to start. So that's just something that, something that happens with France. The one other, obviously, piece of news that, that broke this week, we knew that Unai Emery was leaving uh, PSG. It's now been announced that Thomas Tuchel it will be taking over a PSG. Now, I don't know very much about Thomas Tuchel, but I've been watching obviously PSG quite closely, and Emery's face appears to be kind of resting frustration. And there was um, an interview that Gal Kakuta gave on Canal Plus some weeks ago. I think he's mentioned this several times before. He played under Emery for about six months at Sevilla before being moved on. And they didn't get on. And Kakuta said it was because Emery likes to control everything. And obviously he's at a club where he controls very, very little. Mm-hmm. And everything I read about Thomas Tuchel is that he's a guy that likes to control everything too, to the extent of refusing to work with certain people. I mean, I understand the money and the prospects of success, but does this look like, um, does this look like success in waiting or could it give somebody else a chance to do something, shall we say? Well, uh, obviously, PSG's ultimate goal, as we all know, is, is, is the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Um, Thomas Tuchel's only had one season in the Champions League where, um, with Dortmund, where he was um, ultimately eliminated at the quarterfinal stage. Um, so, you know, perhaps that's what they're looking at. But um, judging by uh, Unai Emery's CV before he joined, he at least yeah. had won the Europa League. Three, three, three times, times in a row. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you look at what they're targeting, I mean, 
uh, Tuchel has just the um, the German Cup, the DFB Pokal to his name. Uh-huh. Um, so other than that, he's not got any silverware. You would have thought that they target someone who has at least reached a final of a Champions League or who had, you know, even lifted the trophy itself. I, I always thought that, you know, if he were open to it, I'm not sure that he would be, that Carlo Ancelotti would have been a fantastic choice to go back there. But, you know, I, I have no idea whether, of course, it was... I, I think those bo- those boats weren't just burnt. Yes. They were they were <laughs> incinerated. Um, I mean, yeah, I was looking at this, obviously, Tufu came to came to the fore working for Mainz uh, for, mm-hmm. what, five seasons. But there's a big difference between managing a team which is newly promoted and has a limited budget and PSG, where, mm-hmm. as you say, it's it's that European column in the, the Palmares sh- spreadsheet that's important. Over the last two seasons, they've won seven of the eight available domestic titles. Trophy de Champion, Coupe de France, Coupe de la Ligue, twice each time. Came second to, to, to Monaco last season, won Ligue 1 this, this season. Blanc won in three seasons, 11 of the 12 available domestic titles, only losing the Coupe de France in his first season to Gangon. But he managed three successive quarterfinal appearances, whereas Emery's the round of 16. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. the round of 16 in those cases were against Barcelona and Real Madrid, whereas Blanc was facing Chelsea, Barcelona, Manchester City. So it's kind of, it's no shame to go out. But if that's your complete raison d'etre, if that's the only thing they're going for, which is basically what what the situation is, then this could be very interesting. Um, with Tuchel coming in, yeah, it, re- it really could. I mean, as you mentioned, um, both both Laurent Blanc and um, Unai Emery now have been let go after winning the domestic treble, which um, mm. I think uh, is very unique in world football. But there you have it. So, yeah, you would have thought that they target somebody who'd at least uh, you know reached the, the latter stages of um, a European competition. But um, Thomas Tuchel has been the man that they've uh, reportedly had their eyes on. So um, he'll be joining and um, yeah, hopefully he'll be lasting more than two years. Yeah, I mean, well, he's been given a two-year contract, which is what <laughs> they gave Emery. So um, just one thing I was wondering, obviously, as you say, it would make sense to get someone who'd gone deep, deeper in the Champions League. But mm-hmm. possibly, obviously, that's a very small pool of managers mm-hmm. And a very small pool of managers who might not be completely happy with not being able to run things their way. Mm-hmm. So is this the idea that you get someone who hasn't done it before, so he's hungry to do it. So even though he appears to be a little um, antipathetic towards people interfering, he'd be willing to put up with it to try to achieve that goal. Does that, they kind of, dealing with this weird kind of balancing situation of you want someone who's not going to be completely his own man, but you don't want him to be completely a yes man because then Mm. that wouldn't work. They're trying to find a balance between those two things. Is that, does that seem how how this is going? That that must really be the logic that's being applied, I guess. Um, You know, as you mentioned, maybe the upper sort of echelon of coaches are, kind of scared off by the fact that they won't be able to control 
things in the way which they'd like to. Um, I, I mean, we, we are forgetting that although he does have just um, just one trophy to his name, Thomas Tuchel, and, and that premature um, Champions League exit, I think he had a, like a 63% win ratio with um, with Borussia Dortmund, which if you're not Bayern Munich, is a very good win ratio in yeah. Germany. Um, so, you know, he absolutely is a great manager. There's There's no doubting that. It's just whether you know PSG have looked at the right criteria before bringing him in but you know we, we don't know who they've discussed with who they uh, sort of shortlisted before so maybe he was the best man that was available to um you know for the job okay so PSG at the weekend will be away at Caen who will be fighting for their lives in a slightly confusing bottom of the table situation um, I asked Gib earlier what his match of the weekend to watch was, and he picked, I'm sorry, he got in first, I'm sorry about this, <laughs> he picked Lyon versus Nice, which obviously will have an impact on both the Champions League and Europa places. Um, of the other matches we've got going on this weekend, which one would you pick, other than that, uh, to keep a, keep a careful eye on during the multiplex? Yes, well, Andrew definitely stole my first choice, but yep. I'll let him off. <laughs> I think it's the obvious one, but yeah. yeah. Well, I think the other interesting one, for a couple of reasons, is actually um, Saint-Étienne and, and Lille. Mm. Um, the fact that Gautier, of course, um, who, who's managed to keep Lille up now, is uh, will be going back to um, his, old, um, his old haunting ground, of course, Saint-Étienne, where he was for so long. Um, and there is, it's not quite a dead rubber, of course. If Saint-Étienne win and results do go their yeah. way, they still finish sixth, which, which um, does give uh, Europa League football, I believe. So um, mm. definitely still something to fight for there. And of course, uh, an eye to keep on for the potential French squad as well, Mathieu Debouchy. Yes. <laughs> Maybe he'll be putting in his last, uh, his last performance of the season, which could uh, make Deschamps look his way. Very much so. So we've got... Um... A round of games this weekend, which has got possibilities at the top and the bottom. Um, OM are facing Amiens, looking for a win, and then hoping that OL screw up a bit against Nice. Um, Monaco are probably going to be the bad guys in the sending Trois down situation, but we've got Caen and Toulouse. Caen will be praying they can get you know, uh, get a point against PSG and Toulouse will be hoping that they can they can beat uh, Gangon to see if they can avoid the, the playoff spot that's left. So the playoffs, uh, the League 2 playoffs um, are going on this week and then there will be um, the playoff against 18th will be happening next Wednesday and Sunday, as I mentioned before. So by then we will know who will actually be in Liga or Ligue 2, and that's before, obviously, the DNCG get involved and mess up everything uh, for everybody doing previews again. I'm always reminded of, I think, Steve Wiss a couple of years ago plaintively emailing us saying, how the am I supposed to preview a league when I don't know what teams are going to be playing in it? <laughs> and this was like a week before the season started. So... Uh, there's going to be a very interesting round of League 1 games to finish the season. That's going to be a multiplex entirely at 9 o'clock uh, French time on Saturday. But of course, before then, there will be Olympic Marseille versus Atletico Madrid in the Europa Cup, Europa League final. And all I think we have to say there is LAOM 
go do it. Okay, so thank you very much to Connor for joining us this evening. And uh, we'll be back with I don't know who, um, possibly next week, uh, to round up what's happened in the last game of the season and also in the Europa League. So, Connor, thank you very much. And I'm sure we'll have you back again soon. <laughs> well, thanks again, Phil. It's been a pleasure.